This radio program is PG-13. Parents strongly caution some material may be inappropriate for children under the age of 13. Send me Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host, Mike Janung. Hey, Mike Janung here, and welcome back to Blazing Grace Radio. Thank you for joining us, and I'm going to jump right in here. We welcome back... For this show, Greg Reed. Greg has been in youth ministry for nearly 30 years. He's the director of Youth Fire, youth Fire Ministries. Greg is a former private investigator who's taught over 250 criminal justice classes on occult crimes and crimes against children to law enforcement and others. Greg himself is a survivor of ritual and sexual abuse, and he's written over 12 books. Greg, my friend, welcome back to the program. Nice to be here, Mike. It's good to be with you. So recently, I'm quoting for, uh, from an article you wrote. You wrote, I heard about and personally knew many ministers who fell. And then I would remind you that when someone takes on the calling of ministry, they have a big red target painted on them. There's almost no teaching about this either in Bible school or in church. So, Greg, what is it that people who are in ministry are thinking about getting into it need to know? Well, I think especially in the, the modern uh, template for ministry, which is the, the whole thing is more corporate than it is uh, organic, in a sense, they need to understand that this is not a career, uh, that it's not about um, you know anything related to social media or how many likes you can get or how much content you could produce or any of that. Uh, ministry is a calling that comes from God, uh, where he marks you out and calls you, and then you go through everything you have to do to prepare for that. And I, there's, I'm concerned because, from what I understand, the asking price for uh, pastors out of seminary right now somewhere close to $200,000 a year and for youth pastor $75,000 a year uh, and so it is pretty clear that the motives are not exactly what they used to be it used to be God called you and then you 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 didn't go into ministry for what you could get out of it you got into ministry for what you could pour into it and if you don't go into ministry for that purpose then I would really just Step back and ask yourself what your motives are. Hmm. Talk about spiritual warfare. Do you see people in ministry that have been equipped for that? Like zero in the last 20, 30 years. We've nearly stripped the Church of any kind of... I wouldn't say any kind of teaching on spiritual warfare. It's either non-existent or it's just so strange and exotic that I couldn't even really call some of these conferences 
legitimate spiritual warfare training because they're just totally off base on what they do train. But the real nature of spiritual warfare, particularly for people in ministry, I think is designed as is designed in Ephesians by Paul, is a whole different thing. It is a, it is a practical application, and it is a survival manual, not not just something that's ethereal. You know, you see a demon, you know how to cast it. It's, it's way beyond any of that. And there's literally, seems to be nearly zero teaching in seminaries or Bible schools or even in churches, uh, particularly for people in ministry on how to handle things of that nature. Mm. Yeah, we see quite a few people who come to us for help, and they, some even don't even believe that there is spiritual warfare, and, and they haven't heard about it at church, and so why is this topic missing so much? Well, I think we could probably punt back to C.S. Lewis. He had it right. Uh, the devil's uh, big plan is either to make us totally obsessed with him or to ignore him altogether. Either one is very helpful for him. For him. And I think we've gotten to the way at the other end of the pendulum where people are literally ignoring him. I think uh, our, our old uh, friend Keith Green, when he did this one of his songs, uh, no one believes in me anymore. I think he hit it right on right on the spot. That that's Satan's big plan is just to not acknowledge his existence. So people are piled on with all of these happenings and circumstances, and they don't even tie it to anything supernatural, having to deal with a real enemy or anything demonic. And frankly, Mike, the main reason is because it scares them to think of the possibility that maybe something's happening that's beyond their mental ability to comprehend or to deal with. Hmm. So the idea of demons uh, is a bit intimidating, is that what you're saying? Yes, it's many times you even bring this up in conversation with your average group of Christians, and they're like, oh, okay, well, how about them cowboys? <laughs> they want to talk about anything but, uh, and you can see, I can see the fear coming into their eyes, and of course our standard response is, well, we don't want to glorify the devil. Well, of course not. Who would want to do that? But the scriptures are, are plain in Ephesians, and we do not that we, we are to expose the wicked works of darkness, and that requires talking about it, shining a light on it. And if we're not willing to do that, we all know that, that sin and death and all that hides in the darkness. And Satan and his powers are like cockroaches that hide under the ground until they're exposed. And once you, hide, once you shine the light of truth and the authority of Jesus Christ on them, then they have no place to hide. But that's when the confrontation comes in, because they're planning on believers not seeing them there. When they see them there, then there's going to be a conflict, and believers have to, at that point, make a decision to engage in that conflict and defeat the enemy. Mm. But if they don't know how, all they do is get scared, and they just kind of shut it out or do any number of things to ignore what's obvious in, that's happening in their lives. Well, and from what I've experienced, one of the enemy's biggest darts is pride, because once you start thinking, well, this is all about me, and look what I'm doing, now you're operating in the flesh, and then a host of things can be possible. You can 
flat-out burnout or you can walk right into a, a hole of sexual sin or, or a lot of different things. So what is your take on those weapons, on pride and the need to rest even? I think that's, that is really essential because we, and, and I've, over the years, have learned that rest is just absolutely essential uh, to those that are walking out their faith and also particularly those who are in ministry. Uh, <clears throat> I had a friend one time, he said, well, I want to burn out for God. And I said, that's great. But, you know, when I was a teenager, I had a Volkswagen uh, Beetle, great little car, wish I could find another one. But being a kid, I didn't know anything about cars. And uh, I would drive this car and drive it, and it had this really cool, I started to see this really cool little red flashing light on the dashboard. It would go on and off. I thought maybe it was something that went along with the music. I didn't know. Uh, some sort of high-tech disco thing. <laughs> uh, but then it got brighter and brighter, and then I'm ha- driving halfway up the California coast, and my engine catches on fire because it was completely out of oil. Mm. I ignored the warning light because I didn't know what they were. Next thing you know, I ruined the whole thing, and I told my friend, yes, I understand about burning out for Jesus, but if I can get this old vehicle to go another 100,000 miles because I'm taking care of it, I think that's better than not taking care of it and short-circuiting my lifespan or even my spiritual usefulness because I don't take the time to sit and be in the presence of the Lord because that's where our real strength comes from. We don't get it from ourselves. And the pride that comes in that says, you know, look what I'm doing for God, or, you know, I can handle this on my own. You know, Mike, the older I get, the more I realize I really can't handle anything without Jesus. It's just an illusion that I think I can. Amen. Amen. You wrote, Satan will do everything he can to silence the messenger of God and his word, then gleefully revel in their failure. Truly, it has been said that the church is the only army that shoots its own wounded, and it was painful to see how we so often abandoned pastoral families, the wives and children, because of a pastor's failure. And I see in the news all the time pastors who are being exposed for and taken down for sexual sexual sin. So talk about what you see as far as how pastors are being treated when they fall. Well, and this is the difficulty because, um, and I wouldn't want to be in the position of having to handle these things in a church situation, but my experience is generally if there is a moral failure, uh the general way of dealing with it is to not deal with it, but to just kind of keep it hush-hush, and then to find a way to dismiss the pastor, maybe give him a, you know, several months severance pay, and then uh, tell the church that uh, God has moved the pastor on to a new ministry, or something like that, which is incredibly disingenuous. Uh, but if it's something that's a little more exposed to the church, then it can be handled any number of ways, but the idea that, you know, in spite of this failure, this is still our brother, and we're still going to pray for them, and yes, they're going to be out of ministry, maybe permanently, maybe just for a while, but we're going to work with the family and everybody involved to see if God can bring some healing to them. That's not really something we're very good at, and unfortunately, 
when it came to uh, big time Christianity, when I first became a Christian, we regularly did the uh, two new believers that came from a celebrity world or somebody that was hot on the charts of the uh, CCM or whatever. We would promote them, we would uh, pay them, we would elevate them, and then uh, all of a sudden their lives would fall apart, and then we would just let them disappear. Mm. And it just seems really wrong. I mean, we all know the, the dangers and the seriousness of sexual failure, and there's another uh, uh, dozens of other kinds of failures, but that one has the way of disintegrating a whole family. And one of the things that concerned me was when I saw, for example, a husband fall into sexual sin, and the church community that might have known that pastor not only dismisses him and you know writes anathema over his door, but the family is treated like trash. The family is disrespected. They can't go to other churches because churches are already talking about their their father or their husband. And, you know, shame on us for not understanding that, you know, God is a God of restoration. And if a person sincerely, uh, you know, is broken before God, God wants to restore them, and he wants to preserve that family. Yeah, and for the family, I mean, the wife and the kids, I mean, that's got to be traumatic in addition to what the husbands are going through. I mean, to be ostracized and cast out like that, that's, that's going to be pretty rough. And then and I have to, you know, without actually, you know, mentioning anything real detailed, I know somebody whose husband did this, and to this day, 30 years later, you can't find a place to be in the church because everybody's talked about it in her community, mm-hmm. and her kids have, are were a total shipwreck. <clears throat> Talk about the other extreme where um, today we'll see... Maybe somebody confessed to a moral failure, then they write it off like, hey, no big deal, and then they go and start off in a new church or ministry right away, and there's absolutely no sense of brokenness or anything. And that's part of the new church in a way. Uh, And I've seen this in the last 10 years almost become something that's commonplace where, for example, there was a couple of Florida, the megachurch pastors, hugely famous, wealthy megachurch pastors, and they had this you know, huge ministry out there, and they just announced one Sunday morning that they were going separate ways, and they were going to have different ministries and start their own churches, but everything was just hunky-dory. And I just, my jaw dropped. I said, you've got to be kidding me. You know, don't you people have anybody around you that can just take you out? out of the pulpit, because that is an acknowledgement that what you are doing is okay to the flock of God. And the scriptures are very clear that it's not okay to do any of the things that you're saying. And uh, there was another instance of a very popular evangelical, the Signs and Wonders movement, and he was praying for people. People were allegedly getting healed, and I believe in all that stuff, but something just didn't smell right to me. And then I saw every, practically every self-proclaimed apostle that I know of that's famous in that community laid hands on this young man and proclaimed him to be the new apostle, like the, like the, a global apostle. Mm. And not knowing that the whole time he was doing that, uh, he was carrying on with his secretary, 
and he left his wife and when he was exposed left his wife and kids and married his secretary moved to another part of the country and without miss oh yeah he went through a, a four-month restoration process i say cynically uh under somebody who had he was invested in this guy succeeding in some ways because he's one of the ones that called him out as being an apostle but four months no you know no just no uh, but he went through that very quickly, moved to another part of the country, and is doing the same thing all over again. And that's the kind of thing that we have to call out, I think, publicly when we see it. And nobody wants to do that. I don't want to be the person that does that because I'm not that kind of a guy. I'm not a heresy hunter. I don't want to go and slash and dash. People, I, it breaks my heart when people fall into sin. But when I see that kind of arrogance that, that treats the sacredness of the call, kind of like uh, uh, Elias, Elias, uh, Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phineas, that just they brought a strange fire to the altar. They were committing sexual immorality. The people came to the house of God. That's a whole other thing, and we need to be very clear how we feel about those things. Well, that stuff should bring about some sense of fear and trembling, too, and the fear of the Lord, is, I think, is missing from a lot of this. So let's talk about somebody who has sort of become the latest hot ticket in the uh, Christian celebrity world, and we're talking about Jonathan Rumi. He's been on The Chosen, and he has a new app called Hallow. What What is on that app that has some problems. Well, <clears throat> the Hallow app, which he apparently created, um, for example, he has uh, how to pray to numerous saints. He has uh, one section, he did a video about how he had spent time praying and conversing with Padre Pio, who was one of the, I guess, recognized saints within the Catholic Church, but he said that he had had long conversations with him and learned a lot from him, and that's Padre Pio's been dead for 50 years, and we are not allowed by scriptures to pray to the dead. I don't care how holy they were. And uh, it was, you know, they just recently released a movie called Jesus Revolution, which I've seen twice. I loved it in a lot of ways because I, that's how I came to Jesus during that time. And I knew some of the uh, places where they baptized people and some of the characters in it have later become friends in ministry. But I thought before I ever saw the movie, if they got Jonathan Rumi to play the main character, they may end up regretting it. Um, and it wasn't until the movie came out that Jonathan Rumi did a private interview, not a private interview, public interview, with a, a podcaster that said in preparation for his role for playing Lonnie Frisbee in the movie, he had gone to Lonnie Frisbee's grave and even laid down on the grave and prayed with him and talked to him and asked him how he wanted his life to be honored. And then he asked for a sign from Lonnie that it was okay to go ahead with it. And a church bell rang out very loudly or an organ or something in a church, and he took that as a sign from Lonnie. And I'm listening to this, and, you know, Mike, you and I have talked, you know the occult background I come from. And this just was appalling to me. But what was more appalling is that nobody has caught this guy. Nobody has 
sat down with them and say, no, we can't support you unless you repent of this, because this is necromancy. This is not anything holy. And I'm very discouraged that so far this has not been addressed, and it needs to be addressed. Mm. And necromancy, communicating with the dead, um, that sounds an awful lot to me like that could open him up to the wrong kind of spirit, too. I think it already has. And as usually the case in these cases, because I've seen it, for example, probably 30 years ago or 20 years ago, more like it is uh, the uh, Christian author Rob Bell, who had kind of dipped his toes into things like the Kabbalah and some other things, but his whole worldview, as far as the scriptures, were changing. And it started out as something that looked where you could say, well, this is not good, but, you know, if he, if he just turns back from it, he might be okay. But as usually the case, when you open the door a little of this, it opens up floodgates. And within uh, 20 years, uh, he was traveling with the New Age teacher Deepak Chopra on, what, on a, a, a national uh, convention thing called uh, Seduction of Spirits. Mm. Anybody knows the Bible, I mean, Paul talks about seducing spirits, and it's like, that's how deceived you can become, and that's how it happens. And it happens with the occult and deception. I don't remember what the movie was, but I'm borrowing and changing a line from it and modifying it, and we use it this way. How does one get deceived? Slowly at first, and then all at once. And unfortunately, unless somebody turns back at this point seriously, like Jonathan Rooney, it's going to go from bad to worse. It can't do anything but, because that's how seductive and strong the occult world is. Mm. And you write, right after you talk about Jonathan Rumi in your article, you write, herein lies the greater problem that I see, which is mixture. It seems like everything that is coming out now from Christian media contains it. Talk about that. I, it, well... <sighs> One of the examples is is there is uh, somebody that was fairly well known in the in the secular world, uh, Roman Downey, who did Touch by an Angel, and she suddenly is making Christian movies, and everybody is watching the movies. They love the movies. She became she, she and her husband were on every Christian program there was for about three years, and everybody is applauding him and. Well, their brother and sister in Christ, not knowing that Roma was still immersed in New Age thought and New Age teaching and had just graduated from the most uh, well-known New Age university in the in the Western world. And there, the mixture was that, yes, yeah, some of the stuff that they did was good, but it also included these occult elements that if you don't know what they are, then you don't understand why it's a problem. And she was mixing occult New Age philosophies, particularly about the place of Mary Magdalene in the life of Jesus, or uh, just the whole subject of death as she approached it, uh, was a mixture of New Age and Christian. And I see that more and more in symbology, Christian album covers, uh, the things that are just, you know, allowed by Christians, that the mixture is what's going to take away our power to fight the enemy. Because you can't fight Satan with his toys in your back pocket. It's that simple. Mm. 
Well, Greg, we have a minute left. Anything you want to say? Just want to tell believers to stay in the Word of God, stay strong in the Word of God, make it a daily habit, and not just be in the Word of God, but be in the presence of God, and ask God to give you razor-sharp discernment, because we're coming to an age in time where it's going to be essential for the survival of the body of Christ. Amen, brother. And I just want to say before we go that those of you listening, um, uh, I would highly recommend having Greg Reed speak at churches. His message is critical for these days, and there's a lot of people who do not have discernment, so we need what he has to offer. So thank you for joining us, my friends, and we'll see you next time. Do you want to be free? Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse. Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at blazinggrace.org. Email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call the office at 719-888-5144.